You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Euthanasia. Now, my goal today from the front is I want to show us and I want to communicate that the purposes of God provide a far more compassionate way than the way of euthanasia. Now, if you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus, it's hope that, my hope that you would see how Jesus turns upside down the way our world commonly thinks about life and death. I want to see that Jesus teaches us that every available second of life is important and is useful, important for this world, important for them, to, for this world to have an opportunity to respond to Jesus's invitation of comfort. And hey, if you are here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, perhaps uh, you've just been brought along randomly or you're interested in hearing what, about what churches have to say about the topic of euthanasia, that's you, welcome. So glad that you're here. Um, my hope today is that you see Christians that open the Bible and that humbly look to God for wisdom and guidance in a complex issue. And I hope that you see that our response would be in line with the logic of Jesus. And it is a loving and truly compelling logic if Jesus really is who he says he is. So euthanasia, what is meant by euthanasia? Uh, in Greek, euthanasia literally means good death. Uh, but there's other phrases that uh, can almost synonymously be used. One of those is physician-assisted dying or assisted suicide. Now, perhaps you can see that each term carries its own connotations. Perhaps you can also see that even by a modern culture adopting a particular definition like euthanasia, that if this is the primary choice, there are, is a seeking to lead a rationale and justification in its, in its implication, implementation. Now, along with different terminology, euthanasia also has some different expressions. There's active, passive, voluntary, involuntary euthanasia. And worth noting, uh, those are all different from end-of-life care or palliative care. Uh, the main difference being, uh, main difference being the drugs administered are not with the goal to speed up the end of life, but to improve the final stages of life. Now today, I will be addressing what seems to be the most thought about uh, or assumed function of euthanasia. Uh, that is voluntary active euthanasia or choosing to die by active means. Uh, that is a person's intention to bring forward their own death with the assistance of a physician. A person's intention to bring forward their own death with the assistance of a physician. That is what I mean when I say euthanasia this morning. And as much as I would like to use the term assisted suicide, which I think best describes what most accurately is going on. 
I'm going to use the term euthanasia because it is the most common phraseology of our cultural moment. And if it's the world's preferred word for what's going on, I want us to help get, I want us to help us to get used to hearing it and connecting it with what we think about from the Bible today. Now, with this definition outlined, there's two other important considerations for us today. Today, um, despite our series name, I will not be covering the left and right sides of this political issue. My goal is not to be an article in the paper to talk about a current policy. Instead, this talk assumes that euthanasia is on the table for all. Uh, it's probably more of a worst case scenario perspective. But this is intentional and it is purposeful in that I think if we can get our heads around the most accessible application of euthanasia, we can always work backwards in terms of our engagement with it. And secondly, as you listen today and as you enter into your week, into your gospel community and to one another's dinner tables. Let us be a people who in the midst of a very emotionally charged issue, let us stay thoughtfully engaged, thoughtfully engaged. It's in issues like this that our feelings can quickly dictate our focus. It's not that feelings are bad, but being a disciple of Jesus, following him means that we have to do the hard headwork of the renewal of our minds. So in times like this, as we consider these hard topics, let us each take on a personal responsibility to ask for the Spirit's help to lead us and work in us the fruits of love, and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So euthanasia. Euthanasia is here. Uh, Victoria's law came into effect in June 2019. Uh, euthanasia is currently available to competent adults with a terminal illness and less than six months to live. Euthanasia is here. Uh, but laws like this are not new. Euthanasia was first made legal in the, in the US state of Oregon in 1997. And its access is increasing across the world. Specifically in Belgium today, since its legislation in 2002, last year, seven people died per day from euthanasia. The lethal injection in Belgium is accessible and available to any age, not just the terminally ill either, but to those with even a mental illness, including depression. Last year in Belgium, in 2021, one in five euthanized patients, they were not expected to die from natural causes in the immediate future. 
euthanasia is here. It's becoming more accessible and its implementation is on the rise. So I think we all need to pay attention today to this issue as much as we would really like to ignore it. We need to pay attention because one day, maybe even already, you might have a loved one who will consider this as an option. Maybe one day, even you yourself will be offered this as an option. Or if nothing else, I ask you to thoughtfully consider what is said today because your friends and your families, your work colleagues, our world needs thoughtful, hope-filled voices of light and life. And I think we can be one of those voices and be able to stand up in that divine appointment. Now, it's worth noting historically, um, our world has always liked, liked the opt-out option on life. Uh, you can even go to the Bible to find this is not a new issue. People have been here before. Uh, you may, uh, may know about the great prophet Elijah, the great prophet Elijah. He actually appears again in, in the New Testament. I mean, Jesus has his great transfiguration moment. Elijah rocks up with Moses. It's kind of like a little Easter egg moment in the New Testament. You just like, check this out. This is impressive. But Elijah himself, after his great God contests of mocking the, uh, the, the worshippers of Baal and saying, where is your God? Is he relieving himself on the toilet? He can't even take up this great big offering. And then Elijah himself, with a simple prayer, calls down the fire of God to consume a burnt, to consume the stones and the water and the bull on the offering. Elijah himself, in the very next chapter of the Bible, he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life as he came to Beersheba. And Elijah prays to God after a threat from the queen of the day. He says, it is enough now, O Lord. And he says this, take my life away for it is no better than my father's. And then he lies down and sleeps under a tree, not to die, but his, his hope was that God would cause that for him. And then there's Job. Maybe you've heard of Job, God-fearing man. We read in Job chapter three, after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, let the day perish on which I was born and the night that said, a man is conceived. Why is life given to him who is in misery? and life bitter in soul, who long for death, but it comes not, and dig for it more than for hidden treasures. And there's more examples, even if you go looking just in the Bible. Historically, biblically, good people have been here before. Now, it's worth asking, where do these thoughts, where do these feelings, where do they come from? How does a world that God made, one that he said was good, lead to these deathly longings? Well, in the beginning, God did say it was all very good, didn't he? He said it was very good. He makes the world, he makes man, he makes woman, he puts them in there. He says, look after the garden, 
He says, good, 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 very good. But the story of the Bible would teach us that our disrupted desires for early death are because of a fallen good world. A world where because of the presence of an enemy of God, the devil, he sought out and still seeks to misguide, corrupt and tear down the structures that God says are good. He is the devil. He's the enemy of God and he does a good job at being bad. And he led people to press the button that would lead to this world being subject to sin. And it's sin that brings pain, suffering, disunity. It's sin that brings fear and anxiety and confusion. It's sin that brings death. And it was a sin stained and saturated world that brought Elijah and Job and many others to the end of themselves to these places of despair. Sin had infiltrated and corrupted the actions of all the people around them. Sin had even poisoned their own human heart as it does ours. It messed with their thinking and in what they thought was good and it messes with our thinking. So even for those who've lived centuries before, they had at some point longed for even asked God for an early death because they were facing up to the sin that was in God's good world. How did they get to that point? Well, for Job and Elijah, it was largely for the main reason that people advocate for the legislation of euthanasia today. Uh, it was to end their suffering. For Elijah, he asked, to end the, asked for an end to his emotional and mental anguish and to skip out on what was looking to be the forthcoming physical anguish. Uh, and for Job, uh, definitely all of the above. Uh, if you haven't read Job, um, worth, worth a look at how bad things can get and the hope that is still there. But we see this, this reason, this reason to end one suffering. Is that enough to pursue euthanasia? Is that reason enough? You see, I think it's worth noting God did not give Elijah and Job and many others a yes to their request of prayer. He gave them a not yet, like they were eventually going to go. But it's as if he said, not yet. I still have work. I still have purpose for you. So it seems that suffering may not be a good reason to pursue euthanasia. Perhaps then we can ask, well, why are people pursuing euthanasia even today? Maybe there's other reasons. What are the reasons that people are choosing to go down this path to end their life early in our modern age? Well, in October 1997, euthanasia was first legalized in the state, US state of Oregon. And they've been surveying uh, the reasons that people have given as to why they've pursued euthanasia as their last resort to their life. They've collected some data. The top four reasons for euthanasia from their surveys. First reason, 93.3% was because of a loss of autonomy. I can't look after myself. The second reason 
that people have pursued euthanasia was because they were less able to in do enjoyable activities, 92%. That is, I can no longer do what I used to enjoy. The third most common reason was a loss of dignity, 68.1%. I don't want other people seeing me like this, so I will seek euthanasia. The fourth, top, the fourth reason was I don't want to be a burden, 54.2%. I would better off, I would be better to others if I was dead. Now notice physical pain is not even in the top four. Arguably, it's primarily emotional and mental pain. So these reasons are different to what we see in Elijah and Job. How have these people got to this point? Well, again, I would say it's from our old, it's the same as our Old Testament examples. It's because of sin. But I think now sin or our enemy is, is playing a different game to Elijah and Job. I think he's playing his original game. His original game. Do you know the first lie that led to sin entering into this world? It was the lie of the enemy you can be like God. You can be like God. And isn't that what our modern society is built around today? Maybe it's not that overt, but get under the hood and I think it's there. It's seen in our attitude of don't submit to something or someone that will bring down your own personal little kingdom. It's take God off the throne and put yourself there instead. This attitude, you can be like God, is in the air that we breathe each and every day. But it goes by other names. It goes by the name, live your best life now. It goes by the name, do what makes you happy. It goes by the name, don't let anyone or anything get in the way or tell of what you want and tell, or tell you, what you what is wrong. It goes by these names for some of the common popular brands and things we can buy. Go your own way. Be true to yourself. Just do it. So what then is the logical outworking of such an attitude in this world? Well, logically, Logically, if these phrases are your guiding principles and your guiding lights for living, when you feel that you are done, maybe you've searched out all of those best life now opportunities. Uh, maybe you've found them, you've aged, and now you've got an illness that is threatening, threatening to kill that buzz that you've worked so hard to create. If that's the case, then euthanasia, it makes complete sense. Like the doc can just give me an easy way out, can't he? One last act of self-affirmation and self-actualization. I've lived life on my terms and now I'm going to die on my terms. The enemy's lie and the corruption of sin in this world means that reasons two and three, less able to do enjoyable activities and a loss of dignity, they make sense, don't they? They make sense as to why someone would pursue euthanasia. 
And think about it, so does reason one and four. Loss of autonomy and I don't want to be a burden. Think about an ageing population. An ageing population that they too have been breathing the air of live your best life now. What are they thinking when they can't look after themselves or when they feel like they are a burden to their beloved family? They too, it will almost make sense. Well, youth in Asia would just be, would just be the best thing for everyone, wouldn't it? That makes sense. I wouldn't want to get into the way of my children's best life now, would I? Of course, death. Death is going to be the best thing to do. Seems to be the logic of our age. But can we just take a step back for a moment? Like, doesn't our natural response to death have something to teach us? Like, how do you feel, genuinely, how do you feel when you found out someone has died? How do you feel at a funeral? We all know death is not cool. You, you, we can't deny it. Deep down, we all know that there's something about death that is not right. Death is not something that we instinctively affirm. But even here, there's an irony. When you place that sense next to you can be like God, euthanasia even becomes appealing in that frame too. Be like God, control death. Control it. If you don't like something, just control that thing that makes you feel uncomfortable. Or sanitize death. Make it as least messy as possible so that you don't have to think about the cleanup for longer than you possibly can bear. I mean, I ask, shouldn't there be some things that should remain outside of our control? Some would argue no. If we can, if, if we, if we can, if we are free to control it, then we should control it, some would argue. And often this argument is coming from the same people that would say that euthanasia is doing good to someone by removing their suffering. In the fleeting moment of the conversation, maybe that makes sense. Euthanasia is doing good to someone by removing their suffering. But hold on a minute. Is it a removal of suffering if you are completely removing the person? To me, it doesn't look like you have removed the suffering. It looks like you've sped everything else up so that the suffering can just simply be skipped. But in speeding everything else up, in speeding that up, in speeding death up, you've also skipped everything else. Everything else. You speed up every extra potential moment of love and joy. You take away every extra potential moment for someone to have an opportunity to show love and care. 
You speed it up and you take away every extra possible moment of someone receiving the gift of eternal life. And perhaps we should consider this in the emotional moment of thinking about a family member, a friend or someone in suffering. We should ask really whose suffering do we think we are removing as we affirm an action like this? I wonder if sometimes euthanasia is just an easier option for the one sitting next to the bed, not the one that's in it. Maybe euthanasia is to diminish that person's suffering for what they don't want to have to face over time. There's so much to think about. There's so much that can be said. There's so many ways in which this can play out and our motives can so quickly become tangled in amongst our emotions and our disordered desires. So I want us, we should consider Jesus. I think he's a good option for some thoughtful, moral, compassionate guidance. I think too, as one who historically reportedly has risen again from dead, from the dead, I think he probably has something to contribute to this conversation. And he does. His life and death reset our expectations about death and life. So let's think about Jesus and death. I think you would say death is not our end. I think it'd be fair to say that one of the most biggest problems we have in our reasoning towards euthanasia is that we have a skewed perception of what death is. Today, death is mostly understood as the end, isn't it? Today, it's assumed that death for everyone is rest in peace. Jesus teaches in his life and in his ministry that death is not the end. Jesus to a woman, a dear friend of his, to a woman who mourned the death of her brother, she came to Jesus in her moment of anguish and Jesus said to her, John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Resurrection, life, sounds to me that there's more to life than just this. But then there is Jesus also speaking to the one inquiring about life in the kingdom of God. John 3:16, Jesus says to this man, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Eternal life. It sounds to me that Jesus is saying that there's more to life than just this. And then there's Jesus himself on the precipice of death to the criminal hanging on the cross next to him. He says to this criminal, after this criminal asks, remember me, he says, truly, I say to you today, 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 you will be with me in paradise. Paradise. Whilst hanging on a cross, 
sounds to me that there is more to life than just this. But Jesus, he also teaches that death, don't assume rest in peace. John 5, Jesus speaking, he says, an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. An hour is coming. To those who have done good, to the resurrection of life, to those who have done evil, to the resurrection of judgment. Okay, Jesus, some big claims there. Resurrection, life, judgment. Matthew 10, 28, Jesus also teaches, do not fear the one who kills the body but cannot kill the soul, but fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Okay, Jesus, it sounds like rest in peace on the tombstone needs some qualifiers. Jesus, he seeks to reset our expectations about death. And it would seem that from his perspective, the only thing that really does end is the opportunity to prepare for eternity. But Jesus doesn't only just reset our expectations about death, does he? He resets our expectation about life. Jesus and life. And life is not a toy. We heard those top four reasons before, those reasons for euthanasia from the state of Oregon. They're pretty compelling reasons for euthanasia if life is just a means of personal, playful fulfillment. They're pretty compelling. Well, if we look to Jesus and if we look at his experience of life, Jesus experienced all of these reasons to the power of infinity. Okay? You think Jesus would have had a longing to die. Loss of autonomy, reason number one. Jesus, God in flesh, stepped off his heavenly throne and entered onto the stage of human history as a helpless baby born into a dirty barn. Do you want loss of autonomy? King of kings, Lord of lords on the throne of heaven in a stinking manger dependent to be held by his mother or else he would die. That's loss of autonomy. Or what about less able to do enjoyable activities? Jesus, it says in Philippians 2, although in the very form of God, although in the very form of God, he emptied himself and became what? A servant, a servant, a servant. If anyone could ever say, look, I'm no longer enjoying what I used to. It was the King of Kings and Lord of Lords who became a servant to sinners to wash the feet of Judas willingly, lovingly, compassionately, the same man who would only moments later 
betray him for 30 pieces of silver to go and hang and die on a Roman cross? What about a loss of dignity? That's our third reason for engaging in euthanasia. Jesus, did he ever have his dignity threatened? Did Jesus have any reason to complain saying, oh, I don't like people seeing me like this? He could have. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, got called a drunkard, got called a glutton, got called demon possessed, got called blasphemer, got called a bastard son. What about on the cross? What about on the cross? Jesus Christ, mocked by soldiers, spat on, beaten, lashed, whipped, kicked and stabbed and publicly pinned up to a Roman cross naked. That's loss of dignity. Or what about don't want to be a burden? Was Jesus a burden? Could have you felt like he was a burden? Well, he came to call people to the kingdom of God and to lead people in a new way of living. And do you know the things that he was calling people to? Just take Sermon on the Mount. Just take that little snippet, Matthew 5. Rejoice when you are persecuted on the count of Jesus. Turn the other cheek. Love your enemies. You must be perfect. All the teachings of Jesus, the world listening in, they hear this. They thought it was a burden. They said, this is hard to teach. This is hard to hear. And Jesus, there's times where he, you know, almost admitted, admitted that it was a burden to carry. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Take my yoke upon you. Do you know what a yoke is? It's a big, thick, heavy wooden beam placed on cattle to pull and plow the ground. From the world's standards, Jesus, Jesus Christ had the most amount of reasons to pursue euthanasia, didn't he? You would have thought he'd have a longing to bring the moment of his death forward. But he doesn't. Even despite all of this, a life where he felt pain, a life where he felt rejection, a life where he felt alone. At any moment, Jesus could have ended it all. Any moment. And he also didn't even have to end it with death. Like death didn't even have to be his option, right? Like he had the opportunity to flip it all upside down on his head. Like he says to his disciples, I love this. You know, he's like, he's, you know, they're in the garden and the soldiers have come and like, Old mate has just ripped out his sword and cut off his ear. And Jesus is like, just put your sword away, mate. Takes his ear, just puts it back on, you know, just doing Jesus things. And then he says to his disciples, he's like, do you think, do you think that I just can't appeal to my father and he can send me 12 legions of angels? 12 legions of angels? I mean, whenever one angel rocks up, everyone poos their pants. Like the first thing they all have to say is like, don't be afraid. 12 legions of angels. He could have ended it at any time. Could have brought that forward, but he doesn't give in. He doesn't end his life and take it into his own hands. 
He sees his life through to the very end that God had planned. Look at how Jesus ends. Look at his final breath. Luke 23, as he hung on the cross, it was now about the sixth hour. And there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And when the sun's light failed and the curtain, the curtain of the temple was torn in, torn in two, then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, He doesn't pray like Elijah. He doesn't make a statement like Job. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And after saying that, he breathed his last. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. What does that mean? Your timing, God, not mine. Your plans, God, not mine. Your will be done, not mine. Jesus' purposes for living far outweighed any reason for dying. And what was his purpose for living? Let me tell you, it was not a vehicle for his personal, playful fulfillment, but it was a life of humble, respectful, contented, honouring of God the Father. Like a good soldier in the hands of the enemy, he endured torture and even death for the sake of his mission. So we see Jesus through his life, through his death. He resets our expectations of what life is for. It has purpose. It has purpose in all of its states, in sickness or in health, in richness or in poor. That purpose for all people's life, I think, is best summed up in the first question of the Westminster Catechism for us today. They put it, what is the chief end of man? What is our purpose? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. What is the reason that you are on this planet? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Glorify God, praise Him, worship Him, adore Him, thank Him, exalt Him, honour Him. Now, sometimes that can be misunderstood, can't it? Does that mean that life is just a drudgery of duty under the watchful eye of a evil, autocratic, angry God? No. No, of course not. That's not what it means. Don't forget who God is. Look around you for a start. Creator of heaven and earth, of whom the angels declare, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. The sun, the moon, the sky, the trees, the grass, a reflection of God's beauty and His goodness and His character. But don't just look around. Listen. 
Listen to how God himself introduces himself to us. He says, the Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin. That is not an overbearing, autocratic, evil leader. Merciful and gracious. Listen to how he introduces himself. Reflect. Reflect on the story of God and all that he's done. A powerful restorer, a promise keeper, a perfect provider. And even reconsider the last part of that verse that spoke about Jesus' burdensome yoke. Let me read all of it for you. Matthew 11, when Jesus says this, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you know how many animals wear a yoke as it gets pulled along, as it pulls along the plough? Two. Two. So I read that and that tells me that a life submitted to God's care is always in the company and being pulled along with Jesus Christ himself. Christ is not a burden. He died on the cross to take away our burden of sin. And it's in that newfound freedom that we are able to glorify God and enjoy new life with Him forever. To paraphrase C.S. Lewis, he says, Praise does not merely express enjoyment in something, but completes the enjoyment of something. The praise of something is the appointed consummation of joy. Like we all know this, don't we? Joash and I were talking about this week. Like when you truly like love something and are just like have enjoyed something, your love of that thing has not fully been, fully been enjoyed until you've told someone else about it. Yeah? I see guys do this all the time. Did you see the way that he just picked up the ball and they just like snapped it in the oh, it was amazing. That makes them feel good, doesn't it? Makes us feel good. You know, have you heard, you know, wives, do you know that your husbands, they just love you so much and their love for you isn't fully felt until they tell another dude in secret. Now, Jesus, it would seem that his, from his teaching and from his lived example, <clears throat> that our lives are to be left in the hands of God and that our time is only up when we finish the task that he set before us. Now, and, now this, this sounds intimidating, but until you realise who God truly is and the life he's called you, it sounds intimidating until you realise who he is. 
and the life he's called you to. Because as compelling as these, th these things are, Jesus teaching about death and what he models to us in life, let's just note, look at these things. Let us look at the achievement of Jesus's life, yeah? We need to look at the achievement of Jesus's life to get clarity. What was the achievement of Christ's life? Esther read for us as I-40. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Behold your God. Behold the Lord God comes with might. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. That's a prophecy spoken over two and a half thousand years ago. It's the gospel promised. It's a prophecy that there is a comfort for people that feel the effects of this sin-stained fallen world. It's a beautiful prophecy. It's a beautiful promise. It's God's promise that he will send a king to comfort those that feel stuck in this mess, that are looking for a way out, that don't know what is next. It's comfort to all of us who are suffering because of sin. He will come and gather his sheep like a shepherd. He will comfort them, protect them, feed them and give them new life. And this promise, this prophecy, it is accomplished in Jesus. Angels announce his arrival. Matthew 1, you will call him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins, is what the angels say. John the Baptist from the wilderness, hashtag Isaiah 40, he announces when Jesus' ministry starts and he says, I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. And what does Jesus himself say? John 10.10, 10, the thief, that's the enemy, comes only to kill, steal and destroy. That's the enemy's tactics. But Jesus says, I came. I came that they may have life, life, and have it abundantly. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Sounds to me like a fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah 40. And how does the achievement of Jesus inform us about our perspective of euthanasia? Jesus is the number one promise of God. And Jesus, he is a far more compassionate way than the way of euthanasia. Because euthanasia, it's the last human resort in looking for comfort, isn't it? But the comfort that they are seeking, it won't be found in their death. It's only found in the death of Christ. Only Jesus, only Jesus can give that meaningful, lasting, eternal comfort that people are seeking. Only Jesus has the means to be able to invite you to have life and have it abundantly. He is the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep and he lays down his abundant life on the cross so that his sheep might have it instead. 
That's the incredible love of Jesus. He teaches that judgment is coming. He shows that life has purpose and he's the comfort that those pursuing euthanasia are deep down looking for. Jesus is the comfort we're, comfort we're all looking for. Jesus is the true and better comfort. The true and better comfort. Jesus, he's, he's better than turn on the screen and distract yourself comfort. Jesus, he's better than I'll have this experience and be relaxed comfort. Jesus is better than ignore the problem and hope it goes away comfort. Jesus is better than the party drug of choice comfort. Jesus is better than if I just get enough, had enough, was enough comfort. Have you come to the cross of Jesus? Do you know this amazing love from God? Have you accepted it? Today can be that day to start afresh. How do you start? What do you say? As I heard this week, the password into the kingdom of God starts with two words. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying in my place. I trust you for the rest of my life and for my eternal life to come. You can pray this prayer today. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. See, the promises of God, they provide a far more compassionate way than the way of euthanasia. We must pursue Jesus. And we must be a church that lives in the way of Jesus if this world has any reason to think otherwise. We must love each other. We must love the world as he has loved us, sacrificially, compassionately, fervently. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.